Welcome to Beer in a Movie, the podcast where we talk about two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies. Sometimes we achieve outstanding pairings, and other times we give ourselves the opportunity to watch the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am your host, Carlos Cooper, and with me as always... Dave Gurney. And I'm Joe Hilliard, and then we usually stop there, but we've got a fourth gentleman in the room, and if you're a longtime listener, you've heard his name before, Ethan Thompson. Hello. <laughs> and Ethan, I'm glad you're here, because it I'm gives me the opportunity too. to talk about the last time you uh, and I... Had a big Tarantino experience. It's been 10 years. It's been 10 years, and those 10 years have flown by. But Ethan and I used to host a, co-host a movie podcast, No no Beer. The beer was in the breaks. The beer was in our bellies. That's right. Um, and we got an opportunity to go to the premiere of Inglorious Bastards in L.A. Yes. As professional movie It was the high point of that podcast. It was. And uh, we saw um, Tarantino in person. We saw we did a, a we did a, we saw him in the hallway with Lawrence Bender and then he left and then we got Lawrence Bender to do a, a, okay, Joe. a, a okay. to do an interview with us. <laughs> I know. I agree with that. And we got to interview Christoph Waltz and Eli Roth. Yeah, we had a sit down hour long interview. Yep. With and we Christoph broke Waltz. all of the rules and we were never invited back to. And, uh, <laughs> so we tell there, these man. Tarantino stories cuz today of course is our episode where we're looking at one of the I know one of my most anticipated movies of the year, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, yeah, right. that's accurate. And so, Ethan, welcome back. Yeah, thank you for being here. I've been looking forward to uh, watch it, to seeing this movie for as long as since I heard about it mm-hmm. and to talk about it with somebody, the three of you in particular, since I saw it. Yeah, you did mention to me a while back that like, this would you be guys your grand it? return. I will be back. Well, we've got uh, <laughs> a beer as usual, and yes. it was brought by a Mr. David Gurney. Right, so uh, let's go ahead and get some beer in place glasses. This is from Trapdoor Brewing. They're out of Vancouver, Washington, um, with some nice label art. It's called Popular Culture, which I thought was a nice name for a beer that you're going to drink along with a Tarantino film discussion. As we all know, one of the markers of Tarantino's films has been his obsession with popular culture, and I guess at this point his contributions to popular culture. And, uh, and the can definitely evokes the kind of 60s pop art, right? In, in particular, Andy Warhol. It's going for the Campbell's Soup Can uh, motif. Was that an Andy Warhol thing? Yeah. <laughs> Did he create Are the Campbell's Soup logo? No, but he oh. like famously reproduced it as a pr- print. You know that, right? I don't know. Jesus oh. Christ. <laughs> We failed you. Like Ethan and I, I are both he's, professors. He's, he, Somehow we there's some this gaslighting or something. What was is he? Term? I think he's I think just he's fucking doing. with us. Yeah. But um, <laughs> think what you will. I th- uh, you know also is called trapdoor. That makes me think of Pulp Fiction. Oh, what they have, okay. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. The gimp downstairs. Yes, and, right. The hidden so many yeah, connections subchamber. Yep. So we poured some in. It looks like a nice old hazy. It's a double uh, it's New, New England, England yeah. right IPA. So you know, looking all hazy. And it does not look like. It has the consistency or color of tomato soup. No, it doesn't. Maybe chicken noodle. Maybe. Maybe. So uh, so we'll be sipping on that as we launch into this discussion. I think Joe was going to just kind of give us the brief well, outline. Yeah. Of- I mean, Tarantino pretty much usually locks down what's going on on set, and, and he likes to be the uh, puppet master of how the information about the film is put out. So we knew a year and a half ago, whatever, that Tarantino's new movie was going to be about loosely based on the... Manson murders, fa- Manson family murders of Sharon Tate uh, in Roman Polanski's home. Of course, he was absent during the the, the attack, uh, and that caused an uproar because how could he do that? You know, and all of the assumption that was made, I think, about what that might look like under a Tarantino lens. Mm-hmm. But then the trailers began to come out, uh, and it seems like it, the story is actually about a um, not aging but middle aged Hollywood uh, TV star had a fifties TV show 
That is Rick Dalton, played, of course, by uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. And then his stunt double, uh, played by Brad Pitt, named Cliff Booth. And they happen to live next door to Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski. They show Cielo Drive. But then you see in the trailer that Sharon Tate seems to be played by Margot Ro- uh, Robbie uh, is doesn't seem to be she's in the <laughs> she movie she's in the, no no, no. Mm-hmm. She, she seems to be a player in the movie how it will all come together we won't know until we go mm-hmm. see it right uh, but he is uh, like I said he's in the trailer even shows you that uh, an agent played by Al Pacino tells him that he needs to shift his focus because it's he he's moved from being the star of a show in the 50s the career he can meet meek together for himself is as a the bad guy in episodic television. The heavy. The heavy, as he puts it. And he, he's going to be the bad guy that gets killed in the FBI. He's going to be the bad guy that gets killed in you know a list Whatever of shows. Western. And uh, the agent says, hey, look, if you continue to be that guy, we're just seeing you, the audience, as the guy who whose career is on the skids. Right. Why don't you go and become an Italian Western movie star? Uh, in Italy, the Italian uh, Hollywood, if you will, the Italian movie-making industry. He rejects that notion because that's not what a bona fide TV-slash-movie star would do. That looks like a, a recipe for failure. And then throughout that, Brad Pitt is developing a relationship with uh, one of Manson's family members, a young girl, underage girl, we don't exactly know her age, who takes him over to you know into the Manson family, and we don't exactly know how it's going to twist and turn until it finally does at the end. And that's about as much plot summary as I think that there needs the to whole plot. be. And we see Rick Dalton's day-to-day life as an actor struggling to... Well, it's not even day-to-day. Like One, one thing you know, You're right. you brought up before yeah. this is the pacing. Like yeah. This film, the first... This is I brought what it. like three quarters of the film takes place over the course of two days, largely one day. You get a little like the very beginning is kind of like part of one day, and then a lot of it takes place over the next day, mostly while Rick Dalton is on set getting ready to shoot a scene or a few scenes in this uh, TV western. A pilot for Lancer. Lancer, right? yeah, yeah. And then uh, and then Cliff Booth, his his buddy, his stunt double, oh. his his go to guy, mm-hmm. his gopher is going around town, kind of well. Fixing his antenna. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, guys, he's doing his errands. I can't take it any longer. We're getting in the weeds. All right. I, got, okay. I can't take it anymore. Well, hold okay, on. I have Wait, a whole, let, him, hold. let him say. He's got something to say. I got something. I have something to ask. Yeah. All right. I have lots to say about this film. Sure. Uh-huh. Looking forward to talking to it, talking about it, and to it. I have a few things to talk to Mr. Tarantino about. But uh, but I can't take it. Uh, and so I'm going to go against everything I believe about criticism and just ask you right now to put it on the line thumbs up or thumbs down on this film. Ooh. If you have to, you have to pick. You if I, if I've pick. got an up or down choice, I believe people should go see this movie. Thumbs up. Okay. If it's a if it's an up or down choice, I would say up. But if we want to take a more nuanced approach to it, I would have other things to say. Okay. Well, it's obvious this isn't going to work. Um, thumbs up or thumbs down? <laughs> well, Dave. No. Okay. So no, disappointment or not? That's what I should say. Okay. Disappointment disapp- or not? Did it meet all my expectations? Yeah. Did it meet all my no, anticipations? No, no, no. Any disappointed or not when you stepped out of this film? I am not, and I could go. Okay. I could go okay. further. Not, 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 not disappointed. Okay. Also, I was not, very disappointed. Okay. You were very disappointed. Very disappointed. All right. Not disappointed, but until about seventy-five percent of the way into the movie, I Bored. was disappointed. 
Yeah, I, I was a little bored. And yeah. which see, this is interesting because I did not feel that at all. Yeah. I was so caught up in the film, uh-huh. and I realized, and Ethan kind of because we talked only very briefly about. You said all I dare you. What all the? I said to Dave was rule breaking. It's got pacing problems. It has well, a huge did. pacing. You problems. did, and I and I even thought going into it, but you also another thing you said was <laughs> it's probably only going to appeal to guys like uh, people who are nerds. obsessed with movies, nerds yeah. who care about movie history. That may that be true. So that's super true. Putting both those factors in mind, I wasn't even thinking about it consciously. But at the end of the film, Mm -hmm. when I'm in the hallway, Mm -hmm. Aaron's using the restroom, Mm -hmm. and I'm just waiting for her. There's a guy next to me, probably also waiting for his significant (laughs) other to come out of the restroom, and he's like, "Man, it was like he lulled me to sleep, and then just bam." (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, so I said, "Wow, you really felt like you were going to sleep." Let me ask a question. No, for sure. Let me ask if this if this movie had been directed not by Tarantino. But by an unknown, this is a directorial debut. Would have been slammed. You, People would have critically. Would you have enjoyed it? It, it would. They would have hated it. Really? Like, yeah. I, I it would not so have too. gotten good I'm reviews curious. if it wasn't for really? the Tarantino I think, name. Because I, if I it think, wasn't for hold on, if it wasn't for yeah. the Tarantino name, if it wasn't for the fact that it was Leo, that it was Brad, that mm-hmm. it was Margot Robbie. Yeah, and a first time filmmaker wouldn't have been able to and get that. But well, no, even if a first time right. filmmaker did mm-hmm. have some kind of cachet to be able to do that, I mean, like, so. It was said earlier that the only people that are going to be interested in this movie are people that are nerds like us that care about the history of Hollywood sure. and old time films and stuff like right. that. And while I do agree with that to a certain extent, I think that that the appeal of that and that statement specifically mm-hmm. is more in reference to like a long term, more in reference to the longevity of the mm-hmm. film. But I think that oh, yeah. other than that, the people that it's targeted to are that obviously people that care about the Tarantino name or care about being able to say they've seen the most recent Tarantino film, yada, right. yada, yada. And for all these give Leo and Oscar fucking assholes that like are so, so I know, I know, but I'm just saying like his fandom grew so large and so fervent throughout his career because of the lack of an Oscar that now that those people that were so on that train, they're like, yeah. why doesn't he have an Oscar? Why does it? They're still with him and they're okay. still like, on, like he really on that. Hold puts on, out hold Oscar on, hold level on, work. hold on. Joe, he's working to a point. He's working to So there's, they're still, they're still with him in that way. And so they care so much about what Leonardo DiCaprio does because they spent so much time invested mm-hmm. in his Oscar race that now they're like, oh, it's Leo. I'm going to go see it. It's Leo. I'm going to go see it. They don't care what it is they don't care hmm. like how bad the pacing is they don't care well, about I any think, of that stuff they're going to the like it because thing, it's Leo the good thing for them is that this is by far his best work he's no, ever he, done no, I, he's, thought, he, I, I mean honestly great. I think he, no, he this is, is great his finest role I'll, I'll buy Le- Leonardo that. DiCaprio yeah I, I I, I, it was amazing it's not as good as Django but it is really really good well yeah. Django but it's Django his, is a cartoon supporting it's his best leading role well we're kind of we're speculating we're trying you're doing a little bit of speculation about how other people would react to the film. And bo- most, of, most of the time we're going to talk about our own feelings about it and why we want to talk about right. it. I'm really curious. The reason I said that, that uh-huh. like I don't think it's going to connect with people, was based on my experience in the theater. I will still, still to this day, my best experience in a movie theater was the opening night of Pulp Fiction, where the crowd was just completely enwrapped. And, mm-hmm. and just You could feel the tension mm-hmm. and all this great moments. Joe and I were in the same theater and saw the same screening. And I'm curious... Oh, at uh, uh, this movie. Of this movie. That's right. I'm sorry, of this of, of this film. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm curious what if you had a reading on the crowd. Because my sense when the film ended was that just like utter disappointment throughout the theater. Like there was no spontaneous applause or anything. There was just kind of like, oh, okay. Let me explain to you how I can't answer that move, that question. I, I sat down and was so into the movie... On yeah. purpose that I didn't realize that my son, who's working there, served me a drink. 
<laughs> you follow me? He, my well, uh, my, so my fiance said okay. that was that was your son, and I said, "Oh crap!" Well, I'm watching this. So when it okay, I, I I didn't. I will tell you that the disappointment came on the car ride home when, when my fiance told me her opinion of the movie, mm-hmm. and it, it and I agree with a thing that she said, and that is that, and that's the reason why I asked that question. If I had seen this movie from a first time filmmaker, I would say, "Oh my god, we got a new talent that I can't wait to see mm-hmm. their next movie." You're but full of yeah. but in Tarantino, but hold on, I'm, I'll, I'll explain eventually. I know I'll get there because I completely agree with David about something. In the Tarantino thing, with all these things on my Facebook feed about we rank Tarantino's best movies, this isn't at the top no, of no, that no, list. No, 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 no. And this so I'm disappointed mid-level. only in that the expectations that I probably yes. had going into See, it were me not too. met. Me too. Was this a movie worth seeing and awesome? Without a doubt. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into that, I'm sure, I in a just second. Wouldn't, but, but someone I, said pace, pace, and I want to I get into that. I want get, to get us back to that. Before we launch into the pace, though, I will say <laughs> a conversation I've had a number of times mm-hmm is people ask me to rank from best to worst Kanye's albums. Yeah. Now, when you're talking about that, usually people put something like Ye at the bottom of it as most recent work, which in the grand scheme of things is better than almost everything else that came out that year. Mm -hmm. But in relation to his other work, it's not, you know, so rating Tarantino movies is like, okay, is this the worst best movie I've ever, you know, it's like, it's kind of like a skewed scale and it's, I mean, yeah. is it a good movie? Yes. Should people go see it? Yes. Does it have problems? Yes. Is it not as good as his other work? Yes. You know, like, so mm-hmm. it's it's, it's, it, it's almost unfair to rank it in terms of oh, his I other hate, work I, because I he like changed movies. So, all you can, so what you got to do is talk about the specifics. Of okay. So I'm pace, bad, let's, yeah. let's get it. Let's, let's get into the pace. Yeah. Someone said, I, <laughs> "Who wants to start?" I, I don't want to talk about pace. I wanted to say like several things in okay, there. Okay, say, 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 it, say it, say it, because obviously pace is not what. What I'm saying us is, most. I don't love ranking things. I think I've okay. probably even yeah. said on here like I hate picking favorites. Yeah. And people, whenever no. they put me on, but yeah. honestly. I felt like this was a return to form that I hadn't seen in so long. You thought this was better than Hateful Eight? Oh, easy. oh, yeah. oh easily. Hateful oh Eight's at the bottom of the Head list if shoulder. you're forcing me to rank Head them. and yeah. shoulders. Yeah, Hateful Eight's the worst movie he's the, made. The oh, car- that's wrong. I, st- I have to say, I stopped watching it halfway through. Mm-hmm. Hateful Eight? Hateful yeah. Eight's yeah. a movie, and we've talked about this, as specifically in our episode on Roma, we talked mm-hmm. about this. It's Hateful Eight's not a movie you should watch at home. It's a theater experience. It's it's a theater. It is. I saw it at the theater. It's a fine film. I'm Like, again, I will go with you back to your argument of any Tarantino film yeah. has things going on in it that yeah. is, are worth oh, watching right. and put it into a category of, you know, again, there's going to be problems, but it's going to be worth seeing this thing. But to me, the kind of character development that we got here in this film, I can only compare to Jackie Brown. It's like those... See, it's the only one I haven't seen. Those are the two of his films that I would put into this other category where like, wow, I really felt like I well, got the, and these characters and, and I is, saw these nutball performances is, yeah. that I wouldn't have expected from a Pam Greer, Robert Forster, now Leo, now Brad, God, Brad, no, so anyway. good. Well, that's what, and that's the film that I was actually doing this math. It was kind of interesting to think that okay, this film came out in 2019. We saw uh, Inglorious Bastards 2009, right. and I didn't like it. Was that really I've 10 always, years ago? Yeah, and I've always felt like I need to go back and look at that again and see what I think. Oh, it right? took me I three think... screenings of Inglorious Bastards to say masterpiece. Well, but that's three. But, but yeah, uh, the first Jack... one was at the, premiere, the world premiere of the movie in Hollywood. Jackie Brown was yeah. 10 years before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, 12, 97, I think, right? 98 or 99, but okay. basically yeah, 10 but, years. Yeah. And that is one when I saw yeah. I was disappointed. And my sh- admiration has just grown for that film, yeah. and I think this one... For me, that's why I wanted to see it again to see if it falls in that category. Of I think it will. But I have to say, okay, so pacing, pacing. Um, okay, well, it's, pacing is like it's fucking slow. Pacing is the thing that I think most people 
why they wouldn't like it. Like yeah. a general audience. I don't want to spend all the time speculating on other people because right. I have a lot of specific things to say. What were your problems with But I felt like, you know, for example, it's like the whole George Lucas uh, film art tour with too much power thing. That mm-hmm. scene where he's practicing his lines with the little, he's reading his book yeah. with the little girl. Yeah. And it goes on for like 15 minutes. So long. It's just, there's no reason for that scene to be so long. Because of the payoff. Then you get the payoff yeah. after of he's him done the scene. throwing the girl on the ground or what? Mm-hmm. No. Well, no, what? when she comes up to him and says, that's the best actor yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah, but I didn't need to. Rick, I, that, what Rick that Dalton. Scene, because I'm not saying cut the whole scene. I'm just saying I don't need it to be like I'm watching a fucking Andy Warhol six hour movie. <laughs> Let me tell you why. Because okay, Carl, okay, Carlos okay. almost passed out when I said that it took me three viewings of Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, you're a fucking idiot. The best. <laughs> <laughs> the, the worst part of Inglorious Bastards for me at that premiere that we saw in Hollywood uh-huh. was the long talkie talkie part. This, you're, okay, I'm so fucking mad at what you just said. The best, the best parts, the best parts of Inglorious Bastards, and the reason it's his best film mm-hmm. is because it's a masterclass in dialogue. Correct. A yeah, that, that, that opening Correct. scene with it's, Hans Landa but, but, but is one, one of the, the talkiest it's one of the, scenes. It's one of the talkiest scenes, but it's one of the most compelling scenes oh, sure. ever put to film. But I saw it in the theater opening night. And I, I and I was hold on. I was ready for Kill Bill three. Why would you be because ready? Because is every, it called Kill Bill three? Because Joe? everything that everything that you go into when it comes to Tarantino, because we can't stop but ranking this as opposed to as opposed to his other films. We're we're judging this film based upon the entertainment he's given us and the groundbreaking well, entertainment prior to this point. And at the uh, Inglorious Bastards premiere, that's what I was doing too. Inglorious Bastards Bastards is so different than everything he had done prior to that point that I wasn't used to it, and it required. Repeating viewing okay. to get to the same conclusion that you did the very first time get, that you saw it. I get the point that you're saying is that we are ranking all of these things, mm-hmm. but I I want it to be known that I did not go into Once Upon a Time in Hollywood thinking what's this, which one of his other films is this going to be like. Right. I went into it thinking Tarantino has never done anything that I didn't like, and I'm interested to see what he's going to do with this whole Manson family yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. time period mm-hmm. type of situation. I wasn't expecting a Kill Bill. I wasn't expecting any of that stuff. And I think that the biggest problem for me on this movie was, and we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, but marketing can fuck a movie up. Mm-hmm. And it fucked this movie up because what this movie is about is about Los Angeles in 1969, specifically Hollywood and the what it's all caught up in and the trailers make us think it's about this guy rick dalton and then before the trailers came out the way that people talked about it made us think about oh this is an untitled quentin tarantino manson family movie so Mm -hmm. we thought it was about the manson family and it's not really about any of those things specifically the main character in this movie as i have talked to people about it since seeing it is hollywood in 1969 and it's not explicitly conveyed in the marketing that that's what it's about so you're trying to find a character or some kind of other plot point to attach yourself to and when you can't find that it makes for an unenjoyable experience well and i think if that's what it's about then it's a real failure because it doesn't my biggest problem with the film was i was looking i thought wow hollywood 1969 the manson family quentin tarantino is the guy to do something really interesting with that. And I think this film reveals his ultimate limitations in that. I thought the Rick Dalton stuff was great. Yeah, but yeah, it was good. He did a terrible... I mean, his version of Hollywood in 1969 is so... It's all the Sharon Tate with her eyes wide open, bubbly, just smoking little joints, and everybody mm-hmm. getting high being nice. It wasn't like that 
it was a far scarier, tumultuous time. Yeah, I mean, well, this was pre. This is not pre Summer of Love. This is 1969. Right. If yeah. you if you read, um, there's a couple of things I would recommend. First of all, anyone Dave recommended this to me, uh, the podcast. Uh, you must oh, remember yeah. Manson, you which must, is part of yeah, the, right. the. You must remember this series. It's all about this period of time and the crossover between Terry Melcher and the music business and the Manson family. It's really fantastic, but it's also about Hollywood at that time. The other is the book that people who listen to this podcast have probably already read, um, Easy Rider's Raging Bulls, Mm -hmm. which is about Hollywood in the 70s and starts out in 1969. Which every single uh, person in that book and movie, not movie, in that book hates says they were misquoted, misquoted. Oh, well, well, you know, but regardless, regardless, it's, it's, re- it's required reading book, if the of, history of Hollywood. Yeah, and one is of the points insane. they make in that in that book, and mm-hmm. then as well at the Mansons, is that when the Manson murders happened, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a horrible thing that everyone was um, shocked was by, salacious. but they weren't surprised. Right? Yeah, they felt like something like this was going to happen. Right? There, it was coming. You know. And Sharon Tate was and, and Roman Polanski and those people are were far more interesting and complicated and sleazy because primarily this is Rick Dalton's film, right? I mean, the primary yeah. lens correct. that we're coming correct. through is Rick Dalton. Now we get Sharon Tate as kind of a little accent that shows us a little bit of that, like you said, wide-eyed. Like I disagree. What's with that. coming? Okay, what's coming in <laughs> yeah. Hollywood? But. It's primarily a film about a guy who's of the old guard Correct. in yeah. Hollywood, Correct. who's no, trying, for sure. right? Okay, who's trying to come to terms. So we're just seeing these glimpses oh, no, of not new come Hollywood. Well, or can but I would find like his place. But I'm place. saying they could yeah. be. We could yeah. see like. So what is it? You know, these new people coming in though. The thing about them is they're they're all doing. They're not just smoking weed. They're doing lots of different kinds of. Oh, Jay sure. Stebring was not was a hairdresser, a celebrity hairdresser, and drug dealer, and yeah. all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And well, it's a fantasy version. I know, and, that's sure. a, and I think I, I can't remember if I said this to you either. The, one of the feelings I had afterward was, you know, um, it's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I just took that as a straight reference to Once Upon a Time in the West, mm-hmm. Sergio Leone, because because Rick yeah. Dalton is like mm-hmm. that is the Clint Eastwood deal. Stop yeah. making TV, go to Italy. Or the Burt Reynolds. But it's really, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really. More a straight up fairy tale reference. Henry it is. Once yeah. upon a time in Hollywood, this is a fairy tale. Yeah. And that land of. 60- they say that's why the ellipses is in there. Yeah. So for me, anyway, that, to cut to the chase, the disappointment for me is that I think the Hollywood of 1969, which was far more depraved uh, than this film portrays it, mm-hmm. man, Quentin Tarantino should have just a heyday with that. Well, but instead, a- we get this. And while I'm at it, <laughs> this one little thing. I have a, I have a number of. WTFQTs. <laughs> okay. Number one. I have a title. I have a strong one. Okay. The title of the episode WTFQTs. Well, I thought you all might have some. That yeah. was I was gonna do I have a game? No, but I have WTFQT. Okay. G- give us a WTF. WTFQT. All right. You make a movie. The, st- the the protagonist is Rick Dalton, but it's also 1969 Manson family. Right. Family. Charles Manson is in one brief scene. Mm-hmm. I was I in liked, it for 45 I, seconds. I actually <laughs> liked the okay. choice to keep Polanski and Manson more like just set dressing at various moments to let you know, okay, they're there, they're part of this backdrop, but they're not the primary. But that's a, but but you know, okay. But the other thing then also though is his family like they're just they're just hippies Kids. hanging out. They're yeah. not like 
again, as depraved as they actually were, where they yeah. could go and like do the commit these horrible bloody murders. Well, well that was, but that was that. to be fair. Of, that was six part of what ago. I got out of that. Actually, those episodes on uh, you must remember Manson. That like. It was just kind of like a normal hippie commune. I mean, there were a lot of these guys who were these like spiritual gurus who had groups of people who would just hang out with them and people didn't really think anything of it. it well, was like, but in terms oh, of Manson, like orchestrating, like they were doing acid every single right. night. Now, Manson we was didn't, orchestrating no, we didn't, orgies you, every single night. We didn't get to see any of those. Terry Melcher and these guys, these directors, all these people, like yeah. they were going and having sex with these girls. You're right. There we was do not all this see the most depraved action. aspects of it. You're right. But and then like, I'll just say one more. Okay. One more WTFQT. Yeah. Well, hold on. This where, was where is the hold on, hold on, hold on. Does, it, does this happen on. on a fishing boat? Because I have a big WTFQT well, on a fishing I, mine boat. Mine is just, yeah. why the fuck aren't they making the pilot on Spawn Ranch? Do you have the Manson family living on the set right. where they make Western films and TV shows? Right. But and he at the same time he's making one somewhere else. Yeah. Why not have it right there? Right. Okay, that was my biggest one. Okay, what's yours? Well, mine is, so the Cliff Booth character. Yeah. I think Brad Pitt did an incredible job. I I loved that character on screen. However, why? I know we need to establish he's a badass. I know we need to establish that he's Uh, a of mystery. Why did we have to make it? That he kills his nagging wife. Yeah, because Quentin Tarantino has a problem with women. He and does. He well, that is. I mean, I'm getting, I'm getting violent there, scenes. Yeah. But with that, him. and there's just, no other reason. At this point in his career, he has to have heard that criticism enough. He to, doesn't give a shit though. Oh no, I think it is a middle finger to those people like me who well, are going to so have a problem the, with and, it. And the little girl, when he throws the little girl down, she comes up to him and says, "I wear pads and all this." Yeah, like yeah, she's yeah, prepared. yeah. I thought that was a little tip yeah, of the, or yeah. a finger too. I think so. But you know, it's just what. There's so many other ways you could have established yes. that. Yes. There's so many other ways you could have that. He, it he, just seemed, yeah, he, un- he, unnecessary. He wants to be controversial. He wants people to talk about it. Quentin Tarantino. If there's anything we know about him at this point, is he's an asshole. But that could, yes. like, but <laughs> that spoils part of this this character yeah, I that I really I like. You, yes, otherwise, especially uh, one one thing that I want to hi- highlight for. I know you guys are aware of it, but I don't know how many of our listeners. But like. The, the relationship between Booth and Dalton in this film is so closely modeled after Hal Needham and Burt Reynolds, mm-hmm. who really, as I watch the film now, as I, now that I've seen it, that character, it is what Burt Reynolds was, right? Burt Reynolds had had some success on right. TV, was kind of dubbing around, did some, he did Navajo Joe as a mm-hmm. spaghetti western, Nebraska Joe, right? I mean, like, clearly... Yeah. Nebraska Jim. He... Right, Nebraska Jim, Navajo Joe. Uh, he he had his buddy Hal Needham living at his house with him, the guest house of his mm-hmm. place. You know, he was a little. Did Hal more Needham successful. do Rad? Yes, it, but, and Smokey and the Bandit. And we've talked yes. about his films. Rad's the most so, important. But it, which which was kind of the like when the film ended, I felt this tremendous swell of joy because it's like, oh my god, imagine if Bert and how had been able to stop the Manson family and they got more ingratiated in New Hollywood. What would that do? And what would Burt that... Reynolds was cast as the Bruce Dern part before he passed yes, away. Yes, really? he was. Yeah, he really. was, yeah. That was uh, the, So, yeah. okay, so you said that... Well, I have a call. You said, I have an answer. No, so I have an, I've, got, I've, got, I've got some stuff. Okay, so hold oh, on. He's hold brought your, out a notebook. Hold your horses. Well, but, but, um, hold on. David said, why, what the fuck, why did Brad yeah. Pitt shoot his wife? Why did he give us that? And the, the, the interesting answer to that question is that Quentin Tarantino is clever enough to have given Brad Pitt a little more ambiguity about the, uh, the the reasoning why his wife had died. But he goes straight for it. We are to assume that Brad Pitt shoots his wife with a spear gun on a scuba trip. Because she's a nagging bitch. Because she's a nagging bitch. 
It is that's a weird, Tarantino. and uh, that's the only WTF that I've got, and it's a weird open question. No, it's like, well, so why Given is this he reputation choo- that Quentin Tarantino the, is creating, yeah. well, he whether chooses he it or not. to give him that kind of ambiguity because sure. he has a problem with, I tried to watch Death, Death Proof, Death Proof yesterday, yeah. caught it on TV I'd never seen before, yeah. and didn't realize the whole fucking thing is about a stuntman who likes to drive girls around in his car and beat them to death in the car. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, the fir- the first half definitely, a, oh. yeah, yeah. So okay, made, so made in a grindhouse. Point. Yeah, so I'm clearly sorry. Tarantino does have a very big problem with women, and he is somewhat of an asshole. But you said <laughs> you said that um, Margot Robbie's just like a kind of a the Sharon Tate character is kind of. I a think blip. she does a wonderful. I, you uh, said you said her character's blip a blip. Isn't fair. Blip but that's what you fair. said though. Okay, let me correct my let me. This is She's what we, a lovely this is, blip. This is why we She's, talk, Carlos. <laughs> I didn't mean a blip. I mean that she is part of what sets the scene of this new Hollywood that is surrounding them. She's the poster child gotten, for that. You could have gotten rid of 75% of her scenes and it would not mm-hmm. have changed the movie. Yeah. Well, it would have changed the tone of the film, no, for sure. No, it would have. It would have I changed thought, absolutely nothing. I thought she that has sequence so- of her in the theater watching the film was some of the most joyful film-watching stuff that I've seen on film. The only, I, I the really only reason that. The only reason that scene exists is so we can look at her feet. No, the reason well, why that no. scene and all of her scenes exist is to show two different Hollywood players, one on his way down and one on their way up. That's the reason why she's. But in if she, it so does, why does it does nothing get, for the plot? Why does she yes, get it does any because the they happen to be neighbors? Of uh, you know the why doesn't she get the Brad Pitt's complexity of which she already has? She, I mean, she was not just this bubbly. No, that's had. a good point. They make I, her seem like such a doofus. Yeah, like the way that she talks to people and the way she interacts, like with Kate Berlant's like. Um, ticket taker character yeah they make her seem so stupid and vapid and idiotic well in which a, in that a fits way as the new hollywood but it's not it was more complicated than her that. sister yeah. said that she cried during that scene because i was there i could see sharon tate for the very first time her sister she, said that she seemed no no less no more stupid than rick dalton to me rick dalton actually seemed like the dumbest character in the film to me but, he lived to see himself on the screen. Yeah, and it, but that and was so okay, did and I, that didn't make me think less of that character. In fact, it was like it was who really, doesn't know her. But power. do you know why it doesn't make you feel less that character? Because Rick Dalton talks, like no, he because, has stuff to he ex- say, and we understand his perspective because he actually speaks in the film. Well, I'm Sharon not gonna, Tate does not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to argue with you elite. that we couldn't okay. have had a different film that would have had more. That's, that's, Sharon that's Tate. so bizarre. Picasso should have used more green and less no, blue. I my, mean, my this is the story. My this critic- is the piece of art. No, but you're wrong about that though, because of the amount of time on screen that is dedicated to Margot Robbie sans speaking. If if she had had less time on screen, I would have been like, yeah, she's a backdrop. She's just there to kind of help us understand. But there is so much time of us just looking at her where Quentin Tarantino's like, yeah, Margot Robbie's hot as fuck and people are going to be okay with just looking at her. She doesn't need to say anything. I don't care to be bothered with making her say anything. You know, like honestly, we get we get a fair amount of non-speaking screen time with Brad Pitt. Aaron, I, I agree my, my wife, that as my well. Wife actually Taking off his shirt said, on the she, roof for no reason. She no, was, that's not my problem. She was most aware of the objectification of Brad Pitt oh, in yeah. this film of of anything. We spent an, we spent an hour watching him drive. Yeah, an hour of the movie is just him. Him driving. on the top of the roof with the shirt off and mm-hmm. like this perfectly framed <laughs> yeah. shot of him. But yeah. again, he speaks like we understand he him because he yeah. talks. Yeah, I mean, well, you're getting to basically okay. Joe's 
perspective is like this is how Tarantino wanted yeah. to do it. But the flip side is, well, yeah, this is how he wanted to do it, and here's what it adds up to, which yeah. is what bothers me, which is that it's just so oversimplified and it was yes. much more complicated. And Tarantino could have made such a more interesting picture. Yeah. I have another question though. Totally different. This thing. is his most totally di- film. Totally different that. thing. Huh. Tarantino is known for his soundtracks mm-hmm. one of the things right yeah yes. really compelling what one of the things that's a song in, oh the, yeah anything hush. on the sh- it's the, a pretty good hush this, okay i this remember soundtrack, hush. actually i was gonna say that was one of the bullet points that i, I can't, had. I can't remember i loved the incorporation of the radio ads oh i love that too that, that's so, my nerdiness i, I was love gonna say that's stuff. ethan shit that well, was for sure that's, that's what why i want to see that, it again that i think that the soundtrack for this film was one of its strengths when they're driving around which is a lot of this film there's a lot of driving that goes on in this film it's car stereo on it is hearing the ads Mm -hmm. hearing little announcements hearing them go into songs seeing that everyone's listening to the same thing right what what that soundtrack of that moment would have been like in at least one radio station and i appreciate that but i guess what i'm saying is in other films like pulp and fiction pulp fiction it plays such a contrapuntal or what, whatever yeah, you yeah, know yeah. like it's it's thematic in right. a way whereas here it's literally background in the radio which i like yeah but it Th- didn't add up to a meaningful use of music hush i remember but and i think it was the rosemary's baby's theme at the end of it sounded like to me yeah mm-hmm. I don't but besides that that would have made sense, right? I, but besides that, there's not anything yeah. like the Pulp Fiction, you know. I remember watching the movie and thinking, like, oh, this soundtrack's pretty good. But now that we're talking about it, I can't, can't remember, remember any specific anything. songs. And, yeah, you're right. It does not it, – it is not as important in this film as any Omori Cone score is in Hateful Eight. It's not as important as David Bowie's Cat People is in that scene in Inglorious Bastards. I mean, there's so many other Tarantino music moments oh, yeah. that are – infinitely better than anything that ever happens in this and that's movie. just kind of weird to me since it is set in hollywood now so you, wait, i want to get back though you tarantino said this has film, a requirement you to said do this it film isn't about anything i think this film is so profoundly about something relatable to almost all of us that his other films don't even come close to his other films in comparison are all flash and style over substance this one i feel like actually wants to try to think about aging um, what it means to try to fit into an industry and when you become obsolescent within it. I think there's like some real struggle that's going on there that I think most of us But don't you think Jackie Brown is like that too? I think Jackie Brown is like that too, this, yes. I, I think that... I think it's just him. I think it's him just like masturbating. So I, him. I mean, I really do. I mean, because it's about him. I mean, let's be real. This is his ninth film. He says that it's going to be 10 and he's done. And he said it's because he doesn't want to age out and make bad movies or do whatever. Like, right. blah, 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 blah. Rick Dalton is him. And he's trying to figure out where he fits into this new industry. And, and honestly, like, I love Quentin Tarantino. And I love, I mean, I'll watch Inglorious Bastards a thousand more times in my lifetime. I think, I don't think he has a place in. 2020 cinema i really don't i mean his his and which is so it's so funny that i'm saying this after watching this movie because i sent joe and david i sent you guys an article from the guardian about why it's time for quentin to be quote-unquote canceled or whatever which i don't necessarily agree with that but that article talks a lot about the violence he perpetrates on women in his film and his films plural and it only dedicates one parenthetical to the violence perpetrated against men as well and I thought it was such an ill-advised like article to have written because his films are, are just violent in general. And there mm-hmm. happens to be both men 
and women uh-huh. who are the subject of that violence. But after but watching this, this one, I'm like, yeah, he it. really does not really care for women at all. There's, and he really does not understand how to put a woman on screen in a meaningful way. And he doesn't, I mean, he, he doesn't, does, he doesn't, but he doesn't. The, but he doesn't, Brown. Hold the on, frustrating he, thing is that he does because Jackie Brown, Jackie Brown is absolutely, he does, again, he again, Jackie, to, this one, again, Jackie Brown you. is the, and the I think, one I haven't seen. I think he was trying to in Kill Bill. I don't think it's as effective there. Not I think it comes, effective. comes across much more as a straight up revenge tale, but, yeah. but I, but I think he's capable of it. And so that but is, Uma Thurman wasn't put on the screen in a meaningful way. No, that the character doesn't like the, the character's never developed in a way that like I feel like there's like Jackie Brown has soul by the end of the film. Like Uma Thurman's I, I a one-dimensional character. I know what she's trying. Uma Thurman is just a character that's been done wrong and needs to get revenge. That's and it. that is there's like nothing every else. scene of that film is I am getting revenge. That is fucking awesome. It, no, it's no, it's. it's I mean, it's, what are y'all talking about? No, that's fine. No, that's no, that's no, what it is. No, it's but, good. But I'm just saying Social requirements to make film work for us, and that's not. That's why Tarantino's getting off the dock in 2020. Where are we headed? No, no what's it's, wrong with that? No, it's to say that. Look, so I don't know that the, I agree with Carlos's earlier statement. I'm just agreeing with the statement that he. I'm saying that he knows how to put a complex and, and yeah. deep and he female character on screen. He yeah, very exactly. infrequently does that. That's the I actually thing. think that the I Margot... No I, I think there's more depth to Sharon Tate than y'all are giving it credit for. But, but no, but that's because, of, a, that's because of what you brought... Too, that's because of what you personally brought to the movie. You know enough well, about the this backstory. This is a film, and that, that's a good point. That's something that we should. Yes, this we should. film demands that you, you bring know a lot. Yes. You know history. Like, I agree. The Manson family. So th- we haven't talked about yet the big climactic yeah, violent, which know, is an amazing scene. Brad Pitt's so fucking funny in that scene. He's tripping on acid. <laughs> hold, the Manson hold, 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 family hold. breaks in. Finish the first point though. In the context of the film. I don't think that scene is earned, okay? Yeah. Because I would there, agree with that. Scene. There is very little in that film. Now he has that time on the ranch where they're kind of, you know, trying you to see the intimidate him. Okay, so what like, isn't earned? What mm-hmm. isn't earned is him like demolishing three human beings and like, you know, breaking them apart into bloody bits. Okay, if we're going to go there, we should probably back up and explain what we're talking about. Well, that's what I was trying to do. Uh, well, one told me to shut up. David had a story before that. I'm just no, saying. No, it was the whole story. That my point was <laughs> that okay. there, there is this, you know, th- this film is incredibly restrained in terms of its violence, mm-hmm. right? Until. I've, until that final sequence and then it gets happens. exorbitantly bad. And then it gets, violent, you know, <laughs> like so violent. Right, which we've seen before in his film. It's yeah. not that there's anything that's so unprecedented that you you know you won't. But given the pacing and like I said, the guy in the hallway, I was lulled to sleep, and then all of a sudden he hit me over the head. Well, this is one of the things I was interested to see it again because I felt when I'm being generous with the film that you, you do see Brad Pitt, you see this savagery in him, um, the illusion with his wife. But when yeah. he at the spawn ranch, at the spawn ranch, yeah. when he hits the guy, he and he Bruce, does a little, and little bit more than he had to. Oh, and sure, with Bruce yeah. Lee, and so you the see Bruce that. Lee scene is so funny. By All the way. violence but, in the film is and bre- problematic. Is yeah. I, I thought too. Uh, I, isn't it funny how Bruce Lee, the Asian guy, talks, and now we'll have Brad Pitt, who okay. is a classic Western guy, kick his ass. It was okay, the so effeminate Bruce Lee gets his ass kicked by the masculine Brad Pitt. That before was, I didn't see that b- at all. Before we go too far into that, because I I can see how you would read it that way. But I think I I have a different perspective because I have a friend that is very like invested in the world of martial arts and he's like a martial arts instructor and stuff like that. And every time he talks about Bruce Lee, it's always in a very condemning way because apparently 
if you, in the terms of actual real martial arts, Bruce Lee is viewed as kind of a buffoon because so much of what he did is so outside of the tradition and of the way things are supposed to be done and the way that you're supposed to conduct yourself as a martial artist that he is viewed as like, oh, he was he was a Hollywood guy. He was just doing this for show and to like be on screen and to you know make a career out of himself in Hollywood mm-hmm. and bastardized martial arts in that way. So when I saw that, I thought, oh yeah, here is a guy that turned his back on all of the tradition and everything that was the way everything was supposed to be done and gets his ass handed to him. That's interesting. I can see how that purist would feel that way. I I always seems to me, it seems like everyone's always really reverential about him and in the movie. Well, I think, but I wanted to say that in media, it's not in martial arts. Yeah, I get it. Um, That Brad Pitt, you see that little bit of savagery. And when I'm being generous with the movie, I thought, well, okay, the way that this turns is that it, you know, Brad Pitt, I'm sorry, I just use the actor's names. I can't ever remember the character's name. Cliff Booth. Cliff Booth, you know, he smokes a, 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 not a joint, a cigarette that's been soaked in acid. He's tripping out. And when these people come in and he's triggered, it unleashes this incredible, violent, violent, uh, de- not depraves the wrong word, but the way that he kills these people no, is so it's, over the top. It's depressing. It's like what the Mansons did. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. given the right scenario when someone's a little off, you can unleash this incredible no, savageness. Yeah. because the way that Brad Pitt, you know, yes, they're there to kill him. They're bad guys. However, the they're way Satan. that the way that he smashes that woman's head oh, against the mantle, repe- repeatedly gets into it's everything so in the room, yeah, incredibly every, the brutal. Phone, the ma- all of it. Yeah, the it's phone, the so, coffee table. and it's like. It's not just defense. It's like he's tripping on acid and he's become this Incredibly incredible violent. violent. Yeah. And this was a moment, I don't know if you noticed with the rest of the crowd, mm-hmm. where people were laughing. Oh, not, people loved that scene. People yeah. were laughing during that. Oh, and, Tarantino's and, here. And I, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, it, and again, it's that weird mixture of release, laughter yeah. as release, not necessarily because it's funny. But it's funny in a way the, that's like, oh, my God, way. this is savage. Anyway, mm-hmm. I thought that maybe that was something he was playing with, like showing, like, actually, these guys, you know, anyone can – this can be unleashed from them. Yeah. But I it was a little that. too little too late, I felt, for the crowd. Like, we were expecting yeah. that a little bit somewhere else. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it was, it was an interesting sequence. And what I meant by you needed to bring a lot to it, unless you know going into it the story of Charles Manson and the family and where they go, which a lot of people do, but then again – I think about like what about the twenty year olds? What about the twenty? You know, like the people well closer to Carlos's age. My brother's eighteen, doesn't know who Charles Manson is. Okay, there you go. Thank you. So, like, I grew up, and you guys, I think I'm Mm -hmm. pointing to Joe and Mm -hmm. and Ethan, grew up at a time where Manson was still being talked about in kind of a regular manner, and you were like, Helter Skelter went through my school. We've got so many psychotics these days. Back then, he was the one. And like Ethan was just talking about, we listened to a twelve episode podcast where they're going through the history of like. So this is a figure. So when they're twelve hours, there is like sort of a justified i mean this yeah. fits with his revisionist history stuff that he does with the nazis and with uh slave owners and you know okay so i get i get that but i wonder if it in retrospect as i was thinking about it, i'm like yeah but did somebody who's just seen this film and is just seeing the manson family through this film is there anything telling them that they the are answer, the answer is no. deserving no, of yeah, this no. kind of the answer is no and right. a, a friend oh, of mine a, a close point. friend of mine was confused and i said well yeah. sharon tate Man, Man, charlie right. manson like what really happened and, and is they, they went next they door and, and, that person, and that person was like oh that was supposed to be manson and those were the manson murder like in other words yeah, they hadn't made the connection. And so another friend of mine, when I told them that story, said, well, was the first friend that didn't know all of that, 
confused the entire movie. Like maybe they were just confused as to Tarantino's putting some beautiful people up on the screen, yeah. but who who are they and how are they connected? Yeah. So do you leave disappointed in that? I bet that you do. Yeah. Now does that get you home and someone explain to you what's going on and then you look it up and learn, right. oh, maybe I should see the film again. See, I think that all of you that are on, I think it looks like David and I are on one side of the table, Ethan and Carlos on the other. I think over time, as you watch it again and again and again, you are going to find some things in there that you said, I get it. The way it took me a couple of times to watch Inglorious Bastards to really get to where I am with it, which is it is a maybe top two, top three Tarantino films. For I know I will always be disappointed in the way that it failed to capitalize on the seediness of and the the anger and the general yeah. scene of of Hollywood in 1969. I think there's other stuff I might decide that, you know what, that doesn't bother me so much. But we much. know it's alternate to facts. We know that. No, Tarantino but, no, creates course, alternate to facts, so why did he because purposely it could be do better. it that way? Because it could be better, Joe. It's That's sa- my it's point. It's the same reason I don't like Ari Aster's movies, is because it could be better. It has all of the potential to be better, and it's not... And it's not... You can't chalk up his lack of ability or his lack of willingness, I guess, in this, because it's not a matter of ability, but his lack of willingness to more genuinely portray, as Ethan said, the seediness of Hollywood and the reality of Hollywood in that time, because he's using that tone, he's using that, like, the landscape in order to make a twist at the end where he alternates the facts where like like he doesn't erase World War II from Inglorious Bastards like everything about that movie is very much set in the reality of what the right. world was like well, in 1945 and in the context, hold on he twicks one and then thing. and then at the very end instead right. of you know Hitler killing himself you know the Americans kill him, and it's the exact same thing in this, except he fails at the context of everything that happens leading well, up to but, the end. But of to it. that point, think, think about it. In Glorious Bastards, we open with that long scene of Hans Landa establishing how terrible the Nazis are through that whole scene. Yeah. We never get that with the Manson family in this film. We don't right. see the seediness of the... So he's just Which assuming... Is a problem. Well, that's what I'm saying. He's just assuming that we know that. Now, I think it's because he's trying to pull off this very tough balance in this film where he wants to tell this story about aging and cultural mm-hmm. change. Yeah. And this moment, he has all this stuff on his plate... And I think trying to balance that, he what does he do? He's like, well, what can I make the narrative shorthand of? Talking about these stunt people and these old uh, action stars and how they were struggling in this time? No, because people don't know that. I can do the shorthand on Manson because everybody knows that story. I don't think it was a great bargain that he made with himself necessarily, but I think that is the narrative bargain that he made. I can see that. I have two questions. First being... What do you think people know more about? World War II and the Holocaust or about the Manson family members? Which do you think, as a culture, we are more familiar with? Oh, definitely World War II. Okay, yeah. so he doesn't make but that doesn't, concession. Because, hold on, hold on. Because, he just, Carlos, he's not telling any other story in that film. He doesn't the make bastards are just bastards. like a badass crew of dudes. I mean, <laughs> yeah. the, the, seriously, I mean, he's not trying I to know, get... But there's it's just no Rick so, Dalton character in Inglorious mm, Bastards. Well, it's just so, it's just Shoshana, so silly. Shoshana, maybe. Shoshana's actually a good Shoshana's character. Shoshana's a very good but character. But they do... But that's developed in a very strange way. Get the fuck out really? of here. Really? is a fantastic female character okay. that Tarantino puts on film. And when we start really listing them, all of this Me Too stuff that we're applying to uh, the film get goes out away. Of here when with that when shit. did we say what? Me Too? Then, why, why? No one said Me Too. Yeah. Everyone just said that. And so this brings. I'm glad you said that because this brings me to my second point. If he is trying to make that balance between, like, okay, everybody knows the Manson family, so I'm just going to not really talk about that that much. I'm just going to ignore that and talk about aging and Rick Dalton and blah, 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 blah. Why do we just look at Margot Robbie for 30 minutes? 
We just lo- we just look at her. We just watch her walk. I mean, we watch her go in and out of the house. We watch her fucking dirty ass right. H E B feet in the fucking movie theater. Like I mean, there's watch, just so because, much. We watch so much of just looking. Staff. We watch her. You're right. Because so much of just exactly looking. what you said. Captain She's just the counterpoint. Count how count how many words she says in that movie. I fucking don't walk into a movie with a meter of who gets the most. I don't walk into a movie theater with any kind of expectations of of the percentage of screen time that needs to be devoted to this or this. You're missing the point. Joe is that he spends so much wasted time just looking at Margot Robbie without actually adding anything to this tone of the film to like the landscape of 1969 Hollywood to the depravity of the reality that was going on that set the stage for the Manson family so that he can make this twist at the end that actually the murders are not committed and that fucking Cliff Booth like murders them just as savagely as they in real life murdered Shannon or Sharon Tate and all those people there's so much wasted time there's so much bullshit that he does. That's why I, Ethan and I are disappointed. Is because he yeah. he wastes so well, much of the potential. And that, See, okay, and, it just be, and it's I because he chose it to be a fairy tale, and she's yeah. the princess in the castle. Yeah, and, and a this totally is totally his version of Hollywood. That's the counterpoint, like Dave was saying. Yeah. and I totally agree with that. And and that's just what's disappointing. As about an up, I, as I, an up and comer in Hollywood, Rick Dalton, who is a success in Hollywood, but on his way down, if you believe the trajectory that his career is showing us in the film. He only wants to get into bed with, not literally, fi- figuratively, with his neighbor, Sharon Tate, Roman Polanski. The, he the, wants to get in bed the, with Roman Polanski. He never mentioned Sharon Tate. The other, no. the other dirty hippies yeah. are dirty hippies. But right. the dirty hippies that live next door to me uh-huh. are a potential meal ticket, and they have value. But, but they're but they're not hippies though. They're not, not longhairs the way that the longhairs are. They are Hollywood professionals. I'm, they are acclaimed artists. There's a difference. Well, I know, but I think in the second half of this podcast we'll talk about the sea shift well, that was going on yeah. in Hollywood versus which Tarantino misses. Well, That's I the think, whole point. I think there are I think there are layers. Like I understand where Ethan is coming from that it's such a rich time period that you could have spent hours, days, weeks depicting all of these different facets of LA and Hollywood and what was going on and I would be excited to watch it. So I I get it. I get feeling like, oh, there's some left out. But I just keep coming back to this is really the story he's interested in telling here is the story of that aging star who doesn't know, who never even really made it, Mm -hmm. who's like on his way out already without ever having really had a breakthrough. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, is it solipsistic? Sure. But again, I think there's something relatable there that most people can tap into where it's like, okay, what point am I at in my life? Am I at the top? Am I ever going to get any further than this? Am I coming down? Am I on the downhill? What does that mean? So I think it's an interesting story to tell. I think the frustrations you're feeling, I understand, using just deciding to use a historical figure as part of the counterpoint to that is problematic in some ways, but it happens. It's narratively efficient. It's what, what people do at times to, to kind of make those concessions. Could they have given her more lines? Absolutely. Um, you know, again, I'm not going to defend all of those things, but I do think the story it's trying to tell is one worth telling, and I do like what it does. And I think, in general, this is one of his least talking films. What right? did you I mean, want her to say? 
it's not even about what I want her to say. It's that, well, that if you're going to add to the story with more dialogue, what could she add to the story? It's 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 not only about how much dialogue she has. It's about how much we just spend time looking at her just being. Okay, so have you asked yourself why did he well, do look, it? Joe, that way? Joe, let yeah, me. Okay, I, I can think I of, I think of one. And it's Joe, I can think was. of one very direct way. Okay, we get a scene where Steve McQueen, played by Damian yeah, Lewis, yeah, here, yeah. tells us the story yes, yes, of yes. Sharon Tate yes. and Roman Polanski. Do we hear from them anything about their relationship? Nothing. Why do we? have true. another you just dude. watch your dance what? let me do the yell this Sorry. time no. why do we hear it through the eyes of some established male actor that's what a narrative device love? we never see okay. again but exactly. i'm saying that's the point. if you're asking how could she have had more dialogue that would have added to the film they could have had it come through that character they could have, could have had actual some meaningful scene scenes between the two of them talking through with her and jay yeah, with her and roman i mean i kind of like that they didn't go with the Roman thing because he's just probably yeah we don't we don't himself. need him but, but Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth are hardworking guys trying to eke it through yeah Roman Polanski and Sharon Taylor up the on the upswing where sure. all they have to do as far as Cliff and uh, uh, Rick are concerned are drive around in that cool sports car listening to fun music even in that interpretation of what you're saying it's problematic because you have Cliff and Rick Dalton two very mediocre white guys that are we're shown struggling and they're trying to make it and they're really putting in the work and Sharon Tate who is just this very attractive beautiful woman that's just breezing through because that's how Tarantino views the world he thinks yeah. that that's how attractive Rick and Cliff n- view dude, the world that's dude. the whole point is that no this is what <laughs> this, this is Tarantino it's that, not you know a guy wrote and directed this movie, right? But you're, like, you're, I mean, yeah, but you're eliminating the fact that Roman Polanski is just as derided by these two guys as as as. No, he's revered. No, they want to get to know him. Did you watch the same him. movie? They love. They, want, they, they, they do want to. They, they, I can't. I can't defend you on that one. They clearly he wants to be in a film of Roman Polanski. He, he says it doesn't mean that they have verbatim. respect for Roman Polanski but, or believe that he's a good person. He just made Rosemary's Baby, so therefore let me get on his coattails. He can they, give me something. Do they respect. say anything negative about him? They don't say anything negative about Sharon Tate. No, right. But <laughs> the but, film does, though. No, it doesn't. Well, no, the film doesn't say anything negative Can about we her. Agree? It just doesn't like, flesh her what, out. No, it doesn't. That whole scene, that, that's, it's a really good point that you make, though. I'm that, so like, surprised why, that this is what that we landed scene, on. That scene at the Playboy where you have at the Playboy Mansion, yeah. and we have Mama Cass. Steve McQueen, and Mama Cass. Yeah. Talk about people that were effed up and read their biographies, yeah. by the way. <laughs> but um, at this point, what was going on, it's so, like, again, just sunny. When yeah, reality, yeah, yeah. But that whole scene with Steve McQueen telling, that was, like, the single clunkiest scene of exposition yeah. that I can ever remember in a yeah. Tarantino It stands movie. out. Doesn't yeah. it? stands out in yeah. a weird way. Didn't it's, it, it's just like, and oh, why? And why did he take the time to label them? Michelle Phillips, Steve McQueen, with, with labels all that on was, the screen. That was also That was terrible. weird. Well, that's, again, he's you worried. Could, and why write Playboy Mansion if we're going to see Playboy Bunnies the moment we yeah, the door. That would have been. So we would have figured better. it out. Yeah, and, yeah. and if he's leaving a test, because I want to get back to David, what you said at the very, very, very beginning, and that uh-huh. was you need to know a little bit of history, perhaps, to enjoy this movie more than others. Of course you do. And so, wouldn't if you had the history of the Mansons, wouldn't you kind of know the Playboy Mansion was the hot spot place? Yes. In Fuck whether you know anything about the Mansons, wish. the bunnies. Yeah, it's no, one of the most iconic he, things. He, in he, pop he does sure. things. So like, that was odd. Yeah. And and I, I'd look forward in DVD commentaries if those exist anymore, and they don't to they find do. out a little bit more of these common reasons and, and reasoning yeah. why. Well, that yeah. was and we'll get there. for me the the thing why I just felt like he's being lazy or he he wasn't sure how much he wanted to rely on people knowing mm-hmm. about this because he does things this like is that. The dumbest that tight shot mm-hmm. on the street sign Cielo Drive. Yeah, as 
is very meaningful. Sure. Right? Right. And it's he's meaningless you if you don't know about the Mansons, Correct. right? Correct. And then you'll have scenes at Spawn Ranch. Mm-hmm. And if you're unfamiliar with the Mansons, like, oh, this is a really clever thing. Mm-hmm. The Manson yeah. family's living on the ranch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that works right. great. Thank you, T. But if you are familiar, it's like, okay, do some more with that. Yeah. Let's take this someplace. This is the yeah. dumbest he's ever treated his audience. Yeah, that does. You know, you, you mentioned that. it that though. That that that's right. Like, why were those? It was obvious. So obvious. That, you know that this is going to be the Playboy Mansion. Why do we need those things other than this is Quentin Tarantino and he does he like stylized things? Yeah, he and the random voiceover narration. Yeah, who was Kurt that recognizable? Russell. It, was Kurt Russell. it was Kurt Russell. It was Kurt Russell, which but was a why? weird choice because he's Kurt in Russell the movie. is in the film, and it doesn't seem to be that character. Wait, where is no. he in the film? He's I Randy, the stunt, the stunt guy, coordinator. Oh, guy. right, right. Of course, of course, of course. And then I, I mean, I we cannot end this part of the podcast without talking about how fucking gross it is watching that hippie girl press her feet against the windshield and that actress did not want to do that scene and Quentin made her do it is that right she's come out and said she didn't want to do it yeah and it's so gross like I I mean I I don't like I don't even remember I don't I don't like I don't like feet like in general I think feet are really fucking disgusting and the, watching this watching is interesting see this is a case where one guy's fetish is so anti-fetish right. for yeah, the other so guy Tarantino, i don't like feet I'm therefore like, i should I'm never have to see them I, i'm okay with feet i'm fairly yeah, neutral I, on feet. no it's I not even notice, about seeing them. i didn't it's, notice her putting them on the seat in the cinema because that seemed kind of gross to me like oh, so fuck, gross don't put your feet up on the yeah, seat. so gross yeah. you know yeah. i feel like i've seen somebody do but, that but but in the car she's pressing against the windshield it's so just yeah it's that that part was more offensive it. to me than the, than Margot Robbie in the cinema. Well, and, and, and and given what I brought to the conversation, I, I just want to say I was I was amazed and had so much fun watching Quentin Tarantino's recreations of Rick Dalton's career in different films and the spaghetti westerns and watching him play with those styles. Uh, anybody order some fried sauerkraut? And and, and that was you know, funny. I, I just just Cheesy. watching his filmography and TVography, I thought was just fascinating the, the old uh, italian western movie I, posters yeah. i, I just want to say good job and if you yeah. do like that 60s if the 70s are your favorite decade of cinema and you know everything about the transition into the 70s this movie was made for you the way that if you don't like bmx movie uh, bmx bikes rad you p- might not get the fullest experience from it or I, I, I got such a full experience and the first thing i told mm-hmm. my friend that i got online when we were talking to him i said you got to we have to go see it again he put too much on the screen for us to see the first time all of the different, the 50s TV styles, sure. the, the colors, the, the palette. Why did he do it that way? I want to go back and learn because I believe, I trust this filmmaker enough that he was trying to take me somewhere. And if I didn't get it the first time, I trust this guy and I enjoy this guy enough to find out maybe what it is and then I'll disagree with it. So I think, again, when on sub- subsequent viewings, I think you guys are going to find more in this well, movie than you did the first I, time. I, I, I want to see it again, but then I also just feel like, yeah, okay, so I'm, I'm willing to give this guy that credit so I can try to enjoy that stuff. But then he does these other things, which which I thoroughly don't enjoy and don't want to give him more of my attention for, which is the clear reveling and the enjoyment of extended abuse of female characters. Because yeah. that's there too. 
Yeah, it is. Yeah. The, the, either in the final death bothers scene, you or it doesn't. The final death scene, the especially that. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. The scene where Brad Pitt kills all those people, like you know, and the, the Dan, and, and Dan, Leo and with Rick. the flamethrower. If those had been yeah. three male characters, would you have minded as much? Because we like no, we like no. Tarantino's excessive violence. We we do, but that's the, the but, whole point, though. Well, but I the, don't know if I issue, do. that. That is actually, and we haven't really. I did want to kind of talk about that. Like I, we I, haven't talked about that last scene much. Well, I'm just saying, like I don't know how about you, how y'all feel, and I know we're not doing an episode where we're looking back, although we have been talking about Mm -hmm. Tarantino retrospectively but seeing this film thinking about it as I have been over the past couple days it's really striking me how given different moments in my life when I encountered these films my my feeling about the violence like Mm -hmm. I remember seeing Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction when I was very young Mm -hmm. and being so titillated by that violence Mm -hmm. like it was really an excitement it was like he's being so naughty he's being and like (laughs) well no right I mean it was like this surge of excitement that like oh this guy is doing stuff more ugly and depraved than you know you could ever doing it interestingly and and showing these sadistic Mm -hmm. characters like you know Mr. Blonde and and Reservoir Dogs or the what's the um, guy in uh, who, who has the the gimp in uh, Zed? Zed, right? Thank you. Like these characters that are just like so depraved and everything, and then they get their comeuppance. Hopefully, you know, like. But you still go through that, like kind of. He's. I was lured in by that stuff. I feel like progressively as time goes on. I feel less and less okay with it. I still get a charge out of it. Like watching that sequence, I was sitting there and I was like sort of half conscious of my own, like you you all know me, I'm terrible in movies. I, I make a lot of noise. And I and I was like <laughs> a lot of flatulence. I was <laughs> more out of the mouth, but and not and not expelling gas either. But like I was doing like audible like, oh God, mother <laughs> like that kind of stuff. And you're that guy. I, I was. I couldn't help it. And it you because it's just visceral. It's like this like seeing heads getting broken apart and stuff like that. Um it, but immediately, and or as it was going on, I'm like, God, why do we have to go here? <laughs> I don't know. There's it doesn't add anything. The only thing it does is relieve you of the slow pace of the rest of the movie. And again, Joe, to go back to what your questioning of what Ethan had said about the violence against women is that we see the male character die, and he's relieved of somewhat quickly. I mean. You know, the dog chews at him for a Tex. while, and yeah, text, yeah. and then like you know, bites his nuts, and then he's done. But we see Brad Pitt like. Fuck those girls up. Mm-hmm. Like, well, not to mention brutally her burning a lot. Right. Well, yeah. Not to, not to mention that, that one of them keeps getting back up and then ends up in the pool and gets a and like throw. and like the um, the and, and like Brad Pitt's wife. Yeah. You know, nagging wife. She's screaming constantly the whole time. Uh, yeah. Of course, she's presumably dying but it's right. it's a it's a choice she's screaming at the top yeah. of her lungs and then she gets set on yeah, fire yeah which i don't know if you had been brutalized in that way you would have the energy to scream that way right. like <laughs> you would have the wherewithal to continue it just echoes to me so, it's you know, like the girl that gets burned is the girl that gets hit in the face with a can yeah, and then the so, other yeah. girl is the one that gets her head yeah, bashed yeah, in yeah, around yeah. time, bashed yeah, into right. everything every surface and so you know going back to what you say joe like we get excited about like on some level, I do, but on some level, I'm sick of myself getting excited about that stuff, and I and I don't know how I feel anymore about watching those kind of scenes. Like mm-hmm. it's, the the you can com- expect them though when you go to the Tarantino. Yeah, you can I can. Them, he tries to make them fun, though, but it, and that's well, the problem. that's the right. Like that, it's a comedy, right? I mean, like he's just smoked an acid dip cigarette, and yet he's going to be. And I think Ethan actually made a good point. Like I hadn't even thought about. Well, that just makes him yeah. even more crazy, because he's tapping into this like. 
inner and demon that he probably would be. Inter- and, right. and, and, and this shows us right. that Tarantino, but even with the milieu yeah. where we have this horrible violence that people know happened with the Mansons, yeah. he can't... He cannot right. represent that. He can't deal with that. Yeah. He can only make it this funny version. Right. And even with Dalton, who's under the influence of what? Margaritas at that point? Um, he, <laughs> Whiskey he's sours. Clearly, there's... Uh, it's margaritas It's margaritas in no, it. Yeah, because remember the blender of margaritas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, but he goes back to get one of this... We, there's been a visual joke earlier in the film where he's learning to use the flamethrower, and he's like, can we get the heat down? <laughs> yeah, so you know? it's, like, it's a flamethrower. You know, so there's been this joke about it. So we bring it back out to like redo this joke that he did in the film, except now he's actually torching a woman to death in his pool. It, you know, again, it's like it's this mix of violence and humor. It's fun when it's Nazis. Barely. I don't know. Like, I don't it's know kind of fun yeah, when it's Nazis. I, I, well, I would say that Brad Pitt could have detained those three people with less violence. I will agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're, they're there to kill you. One right. hit into the phone, she's probably done. Right, done right. Okay. But let's give Rick. He's in the pool <laughs> with his headphones sure, on, sure, and yeah, a yeah. woman shooting a gun jumps into the pool with yeah, him, and yeah. that's all he knows. Right. I'm grabbing the first weapon I can, and I'm taking that, that part. But bad. it's not like... But thinking through it is not so much about the reasoning of the characters in those particular places. It's the, reasoning the, of the pleasures direct. of the film. Yes. What yeah. are the pleasures that the film provides? The pleasures of the film are this funny, extremely violent yeah. catharsis mm-hmm. where Tarantino gets to rewrite the 60s and save the girl next door. And I, yeah. And for me... The princess next door. For me, yeah. the real pleasures of the film come well before that. And it is in what you guys were talking about is the slow-paced just day in the life seeing these things that was where I was really I kind of loved it and I've kind of said enough criticism where I feel like I can go back and watch it again now and enjoy the other stuff right. well (laughs) I'm exhausted and I'm a fucking idiot (laughs) that's true (laughs) (laughs) what do we think of (laughs) what do we think of this trapdoor beer before we totally forget about it's been so long since I finished my right? (laughs) I know it was like 20 minutes ago that I had my last it was, it was a pretty decent good, yeah. New England IPA, good. right? And I love the can art. These guys are obviously uh, clever, uh, you know, marketers. So I will, I will try their beer again. I thought that was an excellent IPA. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. And I and I wanted more. I wish you'd brought two. Well, just the I way that Joe to. liked the movie way more than he should have. He liked the beer more no, than he should. No, I thought that was an excellent. I think that was a, <laughs> an excellent IPA. I'm fully on board. with I'm him, just teasing him. I'm just teasing. all right. Well, let's let's take a break. We'll come back. Like the talk. movie more than I should have. <laughs> you make the rules. Talk about. I do. Yeah. One of those. True, true pieces of the new Hollywood uh, that that came along in this period. All right, we'll return. No, you know how I am, dude. I'll talk about it, but I cannot. I'm not good at organizing introductions. Okay. All right, we're back. And for the second half of the episode, we are going to talk about one of the uh, most... Key films. Key. Key. uh, Yeah, one of the most important films of the uh, transition from the late 60s into the early 70s, the quote-unquote New Hollywood. And that film is the... Uh, Dennis Hopper directed, written by him, Peter Fonda, and Terry Southern. Terry Terry Southern, Easy Rider, easily one of the greatest film soundtracks of all time. 1969. Uh, 1969. It would have been released the year that all of this was going on. It was out that summer. It It was was out that summer. Hippie bikers, cross country, trying to find uh, the real America. But really, they were just smuggling cocaine. Just smuggling cocaine. Well, they were, yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, well, that's. I mean, that that's a very. It's well, a small no, piece of the film. Uh, well, no, they had the money throughout the right. film, not the cocaine itself. But okay. before we do that, the obviously we have to talk right about away. a. Yeah, it's yeah, right yeah, up front. Yeah. We have to talk. Uh, don't let me forget to talk about the beginning of the movie. Um, okay. But we have a beer that we need to open. It's uh, from Barrier. David, yeah, Barrier Brewing. Uh, we have two cans this time. They're out of New York. Uh, this one is called Terrible Ocean. Pork Joe. Sorry. It's Ocean Wood. <laughs> Um, so their, uh, I guess, little uh, attempt at uh, making sort of a Hollywood-inspired beer of sorts. The, the label art is, is clearly mimicking the Hollywood sign. Um, but like I said, it's called Oceanwood, and it's a New England IPA. Uh, they actually, uh, as a brewery, are based out of New York. Um, I'm not sure exactly where. but uh, Oceanside. Oh, there you go. Oceanwood, Oceanside. There's an Oceanside in New York. Beautiful. That's what it says. So um, anyhow, we'll, we'll, we'll be having that. So another Take a whiff of that thing. Well, I can. It's just foam. Very grassy. 7.7 ABV. <laughs> yeah. So, Carlos, you want to talk about the beginning of Easy Rider? I want to talk about the beginning of Easy Rider because mm. I I watched it last night, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I put the film on. I You advised us that it was... Uh, we could watch it free with ads, right? And I refused, oh, so I paid. Not, that's like I paid the that's three. That's the most not con- countercultural thing. Yeah. That's like, <laughs> yeah, right? right? So awful. So I paid the. Three we blew it. We blew it. <laughs> that very very good, David. Yeah. <laughs> um, I should have saved that for the end. For though, the end. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> so we. So I, I paid the three ninety to watch it, and I put it on, and. I was really confused at the start. I thought that somehow there was some glitch in the streaming service that I started mid film <laughs> because of the way that it starts. It's just like, right. I mean, you're just in well, something that's happening and it was yeah. very confusing. And that opening, first. I mean, notoriously this film, when it was originally cut together was about four hours long. Right. right? Oh, I, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, under the direction it, of a drug crazed Dennis Hoffman. Yes. Under the direction. <laughs> in quotation marks. Right. But a lot of it had that got ended up getting cut. I think, I know was from the front end of the film where they Just were going to motorcycle show, like these guys, they were going to be showing them as professional stunt uh, guys, stunt show mm-hmm. people. And so there's kind of a stunt connection there yeah. too. Um, and then they were going to be doing this deal. They were going to Mexico to get the, so there was going to be a sequence where they're actually going over the border, chased getting by the stuff. They were going to, yeah. yeah. So all that stuff gets compressed down into like what? Seven minutes. Right. Maybe um, where you see him getting some drugs from some Mexicans uh-huh. and then meeting up with Phil Spector to sell the drugs to him right. and then getting this Taking money the cash, and, hiding it in the gas tank of uh, Captain America. That's right. Peter, uh, Peter, Peter Fonda's, Fonda's character. character. Captain America. Um, because in 1969, it would have been radical, radical to put the American flag on a hippie bike and a hippie bike bike person's jacket like that. Right. And they're going to basically go to Mardi Gras with this cash and, and live for a little while. It's uh, a road movie. That's the movie. And then what happens, of course, along the way is we see the treatment of hippies, long hairs, uh, uh, filthy people that have bred with monkeys uh, in different rural America. And, uh, and then well, that's co- part of it, right? I mean, that was the set at the one of the tables, yeah, at the, yeah, at the diner, yeah. Oh, okay. that's I one don't of the remember lines. that. Yeah, I would love but, to watch this film with Rick Dalton. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, I mean, he calls text Dennis Hopper, yeah, right? And, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I, and I'm fairly because he's got the mustache and the long, long hair, right. I mean, and he doesn't want to be dressed up as one in, right. The, right. in the West, yes, like, exactly. Oh, he's basically made to look like the Dennis yes. Hopper character, yeah, even though that would have been just pre Easy Rider, but. I think by Close the time, enough. yeah, right. I mean, anyway, Dennis Hopper was a Hollywood dude, so yeah. he he was around. 
Um, we but, knew of him. But yeah, but it, but it isn't totally them being ostracized, right? There's sure. a, a long sequence where they correct. end up at a commune that is even more oh, far yeah. out than maybe they are. Mm-hmm. That they're kind of, you know, Dennis Super Hopper is, uh, is, is kind of the women taken aback by how it's a strange ma- it's a the lifestyle is. Dream. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Um, so, but, you know, Carlos, I think one of the things that always gets talked about with this film that I think deservedly so, it was one of the first films to really bring in popular music in a huge way throughout the set, like music that was popular in that moment into a soundtrack. Yeah. So, I mean, we've talked about it before. I own a record store. I've been aware of the Easy Rider soundtrack for some time, having not seen it until last night. That was my first time I'd ever seen it. Um, and... While I was watching it, I mean, there's a lot of motorcycle riding mm-hmm. sure. that's happening. Yeah. And I was watching with my wife, and she hated it. Like, <laughs> that part of it, she was like, uh, we're probably 15 or 20 minutes in, and she was like, I'm really going to need something more than just motorcycle riding mm-hmm. if I'm going to stay interested in this movie. And yeah. then she fell asleep promptly after. But uh, while the motorcycle riding scenes were happening, while I did find them beautiful and the sunsets and, like, the landscape, and I it did capture my imagination as far as, like, man, what would it be like to do that? Mm-hmm. Like, I would love... Because, you know, especially once, you know, you get into your adulthood and you start working in 9 to 5. You lose the opportunities the to do that. Yeah, but I feel like the farther and farther you get into that, at least for for me, I sometimes just really just I'll just sit at my desk and fantasize about just saying fuck it and selling absolutely everything I have and just like going somewhere, you know. And this is very much that kind of thing that's happening, but it's not super important narrative wise, you know. So I had to, I would have some opportunity during that to Google some stuff because <laughs> you, you could multitask during. I this could, song. yeah, and so yes. which, which I did because I really didn't know anything about it going into it except that it was this important counterculture film soundtrack, yada yada yada. So anyway, I wanted to look at the track listing because when they're at the commune and they're swimming with those two girls, there's a song that's playing that gets. It's the only song I think in the film that gets played twice from my memory. The birds. Yeah, and I was like, what is this? Because I, I, I was trying to figure out who it was. And in the process of doing that, I found out that the soundtrack came about from the editor right. having to play his own records to yeah. sit through all of the motorcycle rides yeah. that they captured on film. Which it wasn't me, like originally composed for the film. No, I mean, but, was, to, but to me, that's hilarious that the soundtrack exists because the editor had to find a way to get through the footage. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. yeah to, there, to put it into a shape that he was... Uh, and that's... In yeah, it, yeah and, it, and it's kind of a commercial aspect of the film is that they chose not to have an original soundtrack soundtrack but to have popular music Which on it the license- helps it make po- probably more popular with audiences who yeah, wanted to see it exactly yeah. and it costs more than double to license the music that the production really budget costs. Yeah. the production budget was four hundred thousand. licensing for the film was upwards of a million wow yeah i didn't realize that okay yeah well because those were all hits already well some of them i mean a lot of them if you want to be a bird never became a hit okay. and it never will uh, born but, to be but wild, it's wonderful you yeah. know like no yeah, it's yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it it is funny and uh I, the use of the pusher is really good yeah yeah great. In, in modern days a deeper steppenwolf cut yeah yeah i know if if six was nine is, yeah. is, is one of the great hendrix songs great song. in there so i mean it's it is kind of wall-to-wall great late 60s it helps you rock. propel you through it and yeah. it makes yeah. it, it and it for me, it's interesting as a cultural artifact, and I have a hard time convincing students this is an entertaining film to watch. I, mean, <laughs> I had a hard time convincing well, my wife. Yeah, I, I'm sure. And I'm I sure. think, you, you know, part of it is the, the context. I remember seeing it when I was in high school. I, I was telling these guys when we decided to do this as a companion, we were like, what do we do? There's so many different films that we could possibly do. That, But um, I had a government teacher 
who showed us this long film. hair. No, he didn't anymore. But at right, one time, I'm sure time. he okay. did. Yeah. So no, he was. This was clearly once a upon film, a time in long hair. Important. This yeah. was clearly a film that came to him. I think it was probably like just after college, maybe as he was going into grad school or something. And it was clearly like one of those light switch kind of moments for him, where like I've never seen this on screen before. I've right. never had that right. But me sitting in that classroom in 1995, it, did it didn't have that resonance, <laughs> resonance for me. It right. wasn't until I read things like Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, mm -hmm. and understood more like what 50s Hollywood what, and 60s Hollywood and what it was coming out of. And I think what somebody would get out of seeing something like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and seeing the kind of stuff that Rick Dalton was making yeah. in that same moment that, oh... So my choices are these fairly what were then like kind of conventional genre things like westerns and uh, you know uh, gangster films and spy films, or I see this thing which is like some kind of weird road movie that has these really weird editing patterns, mm -hmm. right? The flashing back and forth. We're not just going to cut from one scene to the next. We're going to show you a little piece of that. No, next you're going to see drug. To the, you're going to see drug use on screen. You're going to see nudity. You're right. Gonna, uh, you know, you're going to see a different life than maybe I yes. have ever seen before. Right. right. Characters but, that you just wouldn't see unless they were just villains. The, right? emer I mean, the, emer like, the emergence of two Americas. The emergence of a second way of life. Yeah. A counterculture. You're gonna you're seeing that, and and we had really only seen that briefly two years prior with the Graduate. If you, if Which you consider, is extremely tame in comparison. Sure, in, term, yeah, in terms of yeah. his represent, but yeah, absolutely. Certainly, but you're seeing youth well, rebelling against their parents. Right. Yeah, there comes Bonnie and Clyde, and now bang bang, and then here comes Easy Rider, made for four hundred thousand. Yes, they added a million dollars in music, but made for four hundred thousand, sixteen millimeter, I believe. I can believe that. Might want to double check that. Yeah. But um but the story is so simple, but yet if I'm 18, 19, 20 years old, couldn't be more important. Mm -hmm. Well, cuz you're definitely not seeing anything like that on TV either. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I I just I like showing it to students because I do think even if you don't enjoy it, just to see like how out there it is and it was independently and cheaply produced, but it was Distributed by major studio, yeah. Right. yeah. So I mean, With that the third was highest the grossing film of the year. Yeah, there you go. So like, this is a kind of movie like, you know, that could be made and yeah. circulated and and um, and portray like the the counterculture who you know dies at the hands of square culture, redneck culture, right? In a way, right? You know, for for no reason. Yeah, for no reason. But by being different, there's there's a scene where a character's talking about like not being able to recognize what America's become. Mm -hmm. And I was watching it and I was like, man, this is so relevant 50 years later. Like, I think the movie's still, I mean, with the exception of the, like, whole long-haired thing and, like, the hippie backdrop or whatever, but the idea of watching a film with characters that are trying to find their place in this new... America that is not representative of what they have seen in the past really like it's still very like poignant and relevant I felt which I was surprised by I didn't expect to have that kind of I feel feeling. like you can see like this authoritarian streak like this would this is what it would look like yeah. right like these guys and their dis disdain and just murdering people that look different like people have forgotten that yeah in our country that like I feel like people have gotten way too much too comfortable with authoritarianism yeah. right like yeah. they don't and this is a reminder of that like yeah actually it wasn't that long ago that, that we were fighting against this yes. and that we were not okay with it 50 yeah. years ago we would be remiss to not mention that this was the movie that really broke jack nicholson 
God, he's so fucking. He had good been in a. He had been in a, so had been in a couple well, of smaller roles. The trip, of and he was what going to be an executive producer. Yeah, on this? yeah. He, he, well, he's in, he was and he was involved with um, the production, like the behind the scenes. Right, but it was going to be because he was a screenwriter, right? right? He he was a writer and producer and, before and working with did, uh, with the monkeys movie. Like yeah. this this movie was actually the Roger money for Corman. this movie came from no no um, uh, Rafelson Bob Rafelson yeah. and and the guys who got money from making the monkeys and then made the monkeys movie and Jack Nicholson co-wrote the monkeys yeah. movie he and had that previously, movie that money helped make this movie he had previously worked with Roger Corman that's what I was saying yes yeah. on some yes, more he, genre yes yes, yes 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 but he as had he Peter comes, Fonda he comes on the screen you can't take his eyes off of him Peter Fonda's terrible to look at I'll say <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate everything really? about huh. the aesthetic of his character that, I, that oh, I, I wanted to recommend it. a film actually that's uh, that I just saw recently um, because this is a very masculine fantasy yeah right of escaping sure. and then you get hippie girls who you do drugs and have sex with and everything there's a movie that i just saw called wanda it was made in 1970 and uh, it was written and directed by barbara loden who is an actress oh, yeah. and you can see this film it's on uh the criterion you're streaming. Lo- you're loving the criterion channel i'm right? i'm actually i'm i'm enjoying it okay uh, i don't find stuff i really want to watch that often to be uh, honest with you but I actually this okay. film I did see that on there and I want to recommend it because it's written directed completely independently and it's about a woman who decides just to leave this unhappy marriage and being a mom mm-hmm. and just like kind of go out on the mm-hmm. road and she kind of it's kind of a, a in a way a mix up of, of this but also Bonnie and Clyde in a way that she ends up in this relationship she's getting pulled into like potentially robbing a bank mm-hmm. but it's just a, a, a similar, like, Happens. independent, um, not as narratively plotted as I just made it sound. Okay. But this more, like, a feminine perspective at the same huh. time about yeah, yeah, yeah. straight culture and the constraints, wanting to escape from those. And, you know, the, the find something different. The names Bonnie and Clyde keep coming up, and I'd be remiss if I didn't. Uh, say anything about this but when we were watching or when I was watching I'm assuming all of this uh, Once Upon a Time there was a trailer for a Lena Waithe directed movie that is coming out with Daniel Aleu Alway fuck Kaluuya Kaluuya why I can never remember his last name well now I've um, been reminded again Daniel Kaluuya Kaluuya Ka- is it Kaluuya Daniel, Kalu- Daniel Kaluuya where he like in self-defense murders a cop and then they're like oh yeah yeah yeah. god the movie looks so good oh it looks terrible to me oh i think it looks so good i'm like oh no i'm excited about it well yeah uh, but they but they in the trailer say like oh you guys are like the black bunny and clyde right that's a little too on the nose for me it's pretty on the nose i guess yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe i'm excited about it it's it's the next easy rider <laughs> you heard it here first. Heard it here um, first. I imagine it, it it will probably be controversial. But yeah. it was. I, I will say it was interesting because I watched this before going. I, I watched this again before going to see Once yeah. Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. And it did. It was kind of a nice um, lead into it in a certain yeah. way where mm-hmm. it, it really did. Again, we were talking in the last half of the episode about how you need to bring all this knowledge to that film. I think it's true. Like the more you know about that moment. And can just accept that, okay, this stuff is going on in the background or like invisibly, you know, it's just there. It's part of the ferment there um, that you're going to enjoy Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a lot more if you can recognize that. Um, Whereas if you've never seen Easy Rider, if you don't know what we're talking about when you say New Hollywood, if you've never seen Rosemary's Baby, if you don't, you know. Then it then yeah, it's going to be tougher right. to like understand. Well, what what are the stakes here? This is just like some movie star who's 
you know, troubled over the part of his career he's in. And I think there is this way that something like this really helps set right. that. But yeah, right. I mean, the context of 1969 in Hollywood is critical to mm-hmm. understand that, that it shaped everything that we're doing with movies now. Yeah. It, but it, it, it allowed... It, the Graduate, Easy Rider, Rosemary's Baby, allowed... We were shifting from Hello, Dolly... As, as the number one film of the year, maybe a couple of years prior to all of this happening. Mm-hmm. Hollywood doing what it had been doing for quite a long time, and the wealthy elite that were there believing that the way that we've always done it, does this sound familiar, is the way that it should be done. And then you've got a group of young filmmakers with no funds and no capital yet. Mm-hmm. Capital being financial capital or even earnest, hardworking capital, beginning to make a different type of movie that was beginning to make money because a segment of the filmmaking audience was beginning to come to film again. And you get, in just three, four short years, some of the best movies, in my opinion, ever made, including The Godfather, 1972, a young filmmaker being able to, to, to make his own film, and then Apocalypse Now, and then into Jaws. And now you've got young Steven Spielberg, Wonderkind, about to be able to make a movie because of this shift in what Hollywood was, making a blockbuster right. where the old Hollywood began to understand that new Hollywood concepts could make us yeah. amount of money and then that just, we have never right seen back to where you were before. before. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was a different format, but then John Carpenter did it all again a few years after so that. It, it is interesting. We're it, reshaping certainly what horror movies could make. It is. is that what you're talking about Halloween? It's yeah, also he funny changed the game. When you think, I mean, really, the other the other piece of this to really understand Easy Rider, I think you need to understand the French New Wave and the and the films that they yeah. some of these guys were seeing mm-hmm. that were being made on a different scale. Can we do that at different ends and seeing like okay, people are being kind of radical in their approach to these things. Now, I don't know, I don't necessarily agree that this was somehow this golden. I I like some of the films from that era. Don't get me wrong, but I like a lot of different films from a lot of different mm-hmm. eras. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to over romanticize New Hollywood. Hollywood, personally, I feel like the films of the seventies. I well, I'm just well, saying. the height of that. You know, that's really over by seventy five. Like yeah, when film. when Jaws comes along, that's kind of yeah. like a signal that we're we're going back into more conventional modes of storytelling, and and you know we're not going to play around too much thematically from here on out. It's still going to be good guy versus bad guy, and you know, or good people versus bad creature or whatever. Um, but but I don't. I just want to say like I I do like this film. I think it's historically important. I think anybody who gets really into seeing films is going to want to see this one and for good reason it really is part of this period which was a shift in what was allowable in hollywood um but but i certainly you know looking back on it i think it's i think it's interesting i think it's a provocation um i don't you know i'm not so surprised that kylie doesn't find it all that interesting i'm not surprised that your students don't i've never used it in class so i but you know, I understand it's not necessarily there to entertain. It's there to it's, get us to it's think. All it's all about there the to, moment. It was yes, the third highest moment. grossing it's, film of the year that year. It did entertain. But, no, no, but well, it pushed now, people's buttons. Now it, 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 it seems so different. But it, it was I don't not, know if people in 1969 were going to well crafted film in the way that movies had been no, made. No, no. So, so Joe, you can't, Joe this, you can't take it out of its moment and understand yeah, that success. No, yeah. So the success is very explicitly tied to 1969. The right. reason that. Ethan's students don't and that my wife didn't care for it or don't care for it or whatever is because it's not cut in the MTV style. I mean, it's very slow. It's very long Mm. takes. It's very just look at this. It's not super titillating in that way until the very, very, very end. And that's why nowadays audiences will not like 20 somethings 
teens will not enjoy it the way that they may have in 1969 because it's very of its time. And you have to be interested in the historical context of it. And, sure. you, have, and you have to be okay mm-hmm. with a slow burn kind of movie in order to really appreciate it. See, but I believe that Rick Dalton's hatred of the hippies is twofold. Number one, maybe just those dirty, filthy hippies. But also the idea that the hippies are here. It is 1969. In the context of this film, Easy Rider, uh, this film being Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the, what we're seeing... Um, Easy Rider has already come out. Yeah. And hippies in filmmaking are a threat to Rick Dalton. But is there is that referenced in the film? The, not, the film not, Easy not Rider is Only when he uses De- De- Dennis Hopper as right. an Yeah, right. and right. when he, he says hippies are bad. Because he, the way that I, all I black that. people might have been bad to a white person hippies, once upon a time. Hippies were like, could possibly be this, like, you know, um, what am I trying to say? Fad type thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, Right. There, there is there is no debate that in Hollywood there were two people, two teams trying to make film, and one was old Hollywood and one was the yeah. Hippies. I would say there's debate about that. The hippies, and, and <laughs> by the hippies, I'm even talking about, about uh, Mike Nichols in '67. Well, those, well, those people were working together. Yeah, they, I mean, they weren't I think two it, different camps. Well, you can, if you make them, if you can make money off of the hippies, and maybe those well, hippies they, aren't too bad. Well, well I think that's Mike Nichols I, I, was not a hippie. I think that's part at of all. Ag- agreed. But I think that's part of what uh, the, it was a different once style upon a time in Hollywood kind of play kind of gets you to see and think about is that you know Polanski more so than Nichols was kind of part of that hippie you know I mean oh, his yeah. hair was a little longer yeah, he was living this he lifestyle those, he had the ruffled shirt yeah, yeah right I mean so, <laughs> right. I mean, like Jerry Seinfeld was, the puffy shirt. now was he a more <laughs> like Austin Powers more he was a more yeah. you're right you're right Austin Powers was driving I that said, car instantly a, what I thought a of. more refined and artistically longer credible hair. version of that yeah. sure uh-huh. but still part of the hippie yeah. wave yeah. That, that was that was taking place. Manson was too. Manson was desperately trying to make it into the entertainment industry more through music. But I mean, so that, that was part of what maybe he'll, maybe he'll go back in Tarantino, that is, have a prequel. I would not like yet. to see the film <laughs> that is all, not Manson. that's like, that's Dennis, not, not Dennis Hopper, but Dennis, Dennis Wilson. Wilson. Yeah. Dennis Wilson uh-huh. and Charles Manson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hanging yeah. out. Oh, I'd, and Terry Melcher, just all the interaction. Yeah, that, no, that, and that would Charles be Manson movie. going into the studio, mm. you know, recording some music. Have you heard his music? Yes, it's not good. I like it. Ooh, Ooh. maybe we should end. Yeah, right there. <laughs> I like it because you can hear how crazy he yeah. is in it. Yeah, this you know, like, like like there's a whole song where he's like garbage, garbage dump. dump. Oh, yeah, garbage that's dump. Like I, that song is so funny to me in a. Like morbid kind of way. Obviously, it's that's not what like I have a very way. clear memory the of art hearing the that. Being a freshman <laughs> no, actually, in college and hearing that in someone's dorm room. Hey, I got this thing. It's Charles Manson. <laughs> Listen to it, and it's garbage. Actually, that guy that just killed everybody. Actually, yeah. Joe, it's what you're saying. It's the exact opposite of that. I like the music because it's like the art. It's such an shit. it's such an interesting reflection of like what's to come. And like if you had heard that, you would have been like, oh yeah, this guy's fucking nuts. Like <laughs> nobody should hang around this. Well, guy, that's you know? what. See, that's the movie well, I want to see. Yeah, right yeah, there. Okay. Yeah. But so. We all recognize, we could talk for another hour. Yeah, we all recognize what an influential and important movie Easy Rider is, despite how um, terrible Peter Fonda is to look at in it. Um, but do we think this artwork on this can is hard to look it's at? Really do we think cool. this beer is hard yeah, to drink? It's, it's not the prettiest artwork. I uh, like it. There's a guy here that's like Supermaning 
with a shark. I mean, there's like the rock there's a movie with a shark camera. Head. There's some lights. There's, I mean, there's a lot of shit happening. Yeah, there this is. Thing. They're they're clearly making some fun of Hollywood. Um, what is that? This that like guy's stepping on something. And oh, Shark Week starts today. Well, we're drink, yeah, we're yeah. drinking a seven point seven. This is not a there's double an eggplant IPA on there. As far no, thought, as the the, the, <laughs> can, <laughs> the can, wasn't it a double New England? Uh, I think I think they just consider it a single. But okay, yeah. Sorry, my bad. No, this was canned and at the beginning of this half of the episode, I said take a whiff. I, I smelled a lot of grass and I tasted a lot of grass. That fits really? with the easy See, rider. I, I got yeah. it on the. I got it's it on, grass, man. <laughs> <laughs> we're, no, wait. Were you talking grass or marijuana? I was talking freshly lawn, okay, freshly yeah. mowed yeah. lawn grass. Because I got Does that somebody want to mow my lawn. I got that on the nose, but when I was sipping it, I'm getting it more citrusy. I got I, it on I, the nose and on the. Uh, yeah, and you're, you're getting it in flavor right. too. Okay. I didn't well, get it as segue, much flavor. David. I was trying to segue us back into talking about this beer. <laughs> I didn't. I, I didn't get as. I didn't get it as much in the flavor, but I do agree with you about the nose. Mm-hmm. Um, I may like this more than the last one. Yeah, maybe it's because I'm drunker than I was when we oh, drank the last one. <laughs> But yeah, I I I, I, okay. I enjoy. Well, I, I think I would I would be interested to have more from this brewery. To your point, there are two different style IPAs here, and this one's got that extra grassy odor and well, extra hoppy taste. I disagree. Yeah. This one does. I think they're both the same style, but they're different hop profiles. There you go. That that we're getting, and so I, we might both be right. Yeah, I think I think the other one was more overtly <laughs> citrusy. This one is a little bit more grassy and Correct. earthy, and yeah. uh, but but actually flavor wise, I found it very easy to sip. So now I, now I have a question. Yeah, have you had anything from? Barrier no, I have Brewing it. Company before. I did it. you agree with what we said about Once a Time in Hollywood? What did you think about Easy Rider? Did you watch it and get bored like my wife did, or did you enjoy it for what it was like I did? Uh, regardless of whatever the case may be, you can find us and let us know what you thought on Twitter at Beer Movie Show. You can find us on Instagram at Beer and a Movie. That's where I post a lot of what I'm drinking and all that kind of stuff. And always Facebook.com slash Beer and a Movie TX. Beer and a Movie Podcast.com is our home base. You can find a link to listen to all to this episode and all other episodes uh, there. And uh, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review and subscribe. Uh, we know you're going to give us five stars when you rate us, but leave a review. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you want to see more of in the future. That is very helpful and lets us know what kind of content you guys enjoy and what more of helps us plan our future episodes in a productive way. But uh, this, was a, this was a wild episode, I'd say. I mean, I thought that the Midsummer one was like a whole other like level for us but then we just we ramped it up even more with this one please I'd stick say. with us folks we'll rein it in <laughs> no i don't know yeah i don't <laughs> like this trend the, <laughs> like, like, the trajectory is that our in in four or five weeks you'll be getting three hour episodes from us <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and we're fights. gonna be doing volume one and volume two of each episode <laughs> yeah. oh, we're turning fights. into Voorhees we trust no but i think it, it speaks to tarantino and of course his imprint on film culture in general this is a big film because big it's film, his man. so i um, you know yeah. and 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 if as a director-based film goer i was eager to be their opening night same i would agree i was mm. very excited about it i'm a fucking idiot uh, I went. I, I mean, yeah, you are. But I went and saw it. At, I mean, I was so excited you to saw see it at nine a.m. Didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I went saw it at nine a.m. Yeah. That's how dedicated I was to seeing this right. movie. Right. Um, but yeah, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, Rick fucking Dalton. Don't blow it. <laughs>